I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church, and I welcome you to episode 12 in the fourth edition of the AIC Bible Study video series, New Testament Gospels. In episode 12, I begin discussion of the Gospel of St. Luke, beginning with its history, authorship, language, intended audience, themes, and highlights of some distinctive features of this unique gospel, beginning with his introduction of Zacharias and Elizabeth in the first of three angelic annunciations. At the end of the episode, I will point out where material presented in, in episode 12 is discussed in the new AIC bookstore publication, The Gospel of Luke, Annotated and Illustrated. The name Luke is an affectionate contraction of the Greek name Lucius, which means found. In Greek, the name is Lucas, L-O-U-K-A-S. Among the earliest traditions of the Church is the identification of St. Luke as a physician, most likely from the region of Antioch, a cosmopolitan city which was then the third largest in the Roman Empire. Based upon St. Paul's reference in Colossians 4, verse 14, to St. Luke, quote, the beloved physician, unquote, as one of the followers who was not of the circumcision, the assumption is that he was a Gentile convert to Christianity. This would make St. Luke the only Gentile author of a gospel, assuming one accepts that Mark is John Mark. The illustration for this on the next slide is Luke writing his gospel, an illumination in tempera and gold on parchment from the Reichenau Gospels made in the early 11th century at the scriptorium at the Reichenau Monastery, Reichenau, Germany, from the collection of the Walters Art Gallery in Baltimore, Maryland. Early tradition also asserts that St. Luke was a follower of St. Paul during his travels in the period before he wrote his epistles. St. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, that, quote, only Luke is with me. Tradition rejects the modern theory that these comments refer to a different Luke. In the Eastern tradition, and widely accepted in the Roman Catholic Church in the Western tradition, St. Luke is credited with also being one of the earliest icon painters. The illustration, Luke painting the Virgin, is a miniature illumination in colors and gold on parchment from the Gospels of Luke and John made in London in the first quarter of the 16th century from manuscript Royal 1E5, Folio 3, British Library, London, England. The traditional symbol of St. Luke is an ox, like the one in the Reichenau Gospels illumination in the two previous slides. The church chose the imagery from the vision in Ezekiel chapter 1. The gospel authors are shown as a man or an angel for St. Matthew, a lion for St. Mark, an ox for St. Luke, and an eagle for St. John. There are many traditions concerning where St. Luke composed his gospel. These include Antioch in present-day Syria, Bithynia, a region in Asia Minor, which included Nicaea and is part of present-day Turkey, Rome or Achaia, the latter in present-day Macedonia, 
Macedonian region of northern Greece. St. Gregory Nazianzen, also known as Gregory Nazianzus, and St. Jerome, the translator of the Bible from Greek into Latin, both believed that St. Luke wrote the book in Achaia. The illustration is an 18th century tempera and gilt-on panel icon of St. Luke in the Russian Orthodox tradition. Although the author is not mentioned in the text, the acceptance of St. Luke as the author was widespread by the start of the 3rd century. Among the people or documents which affirm St. Luke as author were Justin Martyr in Rome around 150 AD, the Muratorian Canon published at Rome between 170 and 190 AD, Irenaeus of Lyon, the capital of the Roman region of Gaul in the Rhone Valley, southeast of Paris, around 170 or 180 A.D., and Tertullian in North Africa around 200 A.D. In the 4th century, the early church historian Eusebius credited it to St. Luke. The illustration is an illumination in temper and guilt on vellum of St. Luke from the Augustan Gospels started in the 6th century in Italy given to St. Augustine by Pope Gregory the Great and taken to England around 587 A.D. for the library of Corpus Christi, Corpus Christi College, Cambridge University, Cambridge, England. It is one of the oldest surviving gospel books in England and Western Europe. The date of composition is unknown and there are several competing theories, but the most likely date is somewhere between 70 A.D. and 85 A.D. These dates coincide with the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. and the date range attributed to Acts of the Apostles, St. Luke's own sequel to his Gospel. Some scholars believe it could have been written as early as 62 A.D. Tradition in the Eastern Church says that he died a martyr at age 84 in, in Boeotia in central Greece. His body is claimed to be at the Abbey of the Basilica of St. Justina in Padua, Italy. Other churches claim to possess remains of St. Luke. The church celebrates the feast day of St. Luke on October the 18th. The illustration is a circa 1923 A.D. mosaic of St. Luke in a niche on the exterior of the Romanian Orthodox Patriarchal Cathedral in Bucharest, Romania. The language of St. Luke's Gospel is the highest literary form of Koine Greek, the most common language spoken in the Mediterranean region at the time of Christ, and the language of most manuscripts of the New Testament. The elegance of St. Luke's Greek and his fluency in its idioms is evidence that St. Luke was an educated man. The illustration is Luke writing his Gospel, an illumination in tempera and colored inks on German watermarked paper by the Russian Orthodox monk Michael Medovartsev, made in Moscow in the last quarter of the 15th century from manuscript Egerton 3045 
folio 145V at the British Library in London, England. St. Luke's Gospel is the only gospel with a dedication or preface in chapter 1 and which comprises verses 1 to 4. In verse 3, the first intended reader is mentioned by name, quote, most excellent Theophilus, unquote. Tradition says that St. Luke intended his book to be instructed for newly converted Gentile Christians anywhere in the Mediterranean basin. Over time, it has been accepted as the most evangelical of the three synoptic gospels because it is the most comprehensible by people of all nations in any generation. The illustration is a late 19th century stained glass window of St. Luke, one of a set of the four evangelists at St. Peter's Collegiate Church in Wolverhampton, England. The main theme of St. Luke's Gospel is that the good news or gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ is available to all people. This is demonstrated in the text both near the beginning, in the Nativity narrative, and in the closing verses. In the Song of Simeon, also known as the Nunc Dimittis, a canticle for evening prayer after a New Testament lesson in Anglican Copland, the just and devout temple worker Simeon sings his grateful song for being allowed to live long enough to see the birth of the Messiah, who was born, quote, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles. The illustration, Luke writing his gospel, is a miniature illumination in colored inks and gold inside a capital letter from Volume 1 in the Bible Historiale made in Paris, France around 1420 A.D. from Manuscript Additional 18856 at the British Library, London, England. St. Luke is seen seated in an elaborate throne-like chair with his traditional symbol and ox lying looking on at his feet. Further evidence of the theme of salvation for all is found in Jesus' closing remarks to the apostles before he led them to Bethany, where they witnessed his ascension. In chapter 24, verse 47, Jesus says, Thus it was written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. The thus it was written and thus it was necessary combination suggests an inevitability regarding the intentions of God the Father from the beginning of creation, a theme explored more extensively in the Gospel of St. Matthew, which was presented earlier in this series. The illustration is a miniature illumination in colored inks and gold on parchment called Christ Crucified and Christ Taken Down from the Cross, one of, one of several sets of scenes from the life of Christ in a Psalter book made near Oxford, England in the first quarter of the 13th century but before 1220 A.D. from manuscript Royal 1D10, folio 6V, at the British Library in London, England. Other themes of St. Luke's Gospel are the power and necessity of witnessing, which comes from the Greek word martus, from which the word martyr is also derived. 
literally meaning an eyewitness or one who heard evidence, but spiritually meaning the need to stand up for the truth of the Gospels. Another theme is the power of faith, especially the need for a response in faith to negative events in the world. St. Luke uses it more extensively both in his Gospel and in Acts of the Apostles than any other writer. The illustration for this and the next several slides is a 12th century illumination in tempera and gold on vellum from the Bernie Gospels, which is a gospel book which was begun at Constantinople in the 10th century with the illuminations added by the Kokinobaphos Master at the Kokinobaphos Monastery in the 12th century. This is one of the finest gospel books ever done in the Byzantine tradition. Formerly the property of the Byzantine Emperor Constantine Komnenos, it was sent to Rome in the 16th century where it remained until it was acquired by the English collector Charles Burney in the late 18th or early 19th century. The British Museum acquired Burney's manuscript collection in 1818 A.D., after Bernie's death in the previous year. Other themes are the power of prayer, demonstrated by examples of Jesus' habit of praying in stressful and challenging moments. The theological concept of parallelism, a variation on the concept of type or types in which moments in the life of Christ may be compared to events in the lives of others, both during Jesus' lifetime and in the Old Testament, for example, parallels between John the Baptist and Jesus. And finally, a major underlying theme throughout the book is that God delivers on his promises. I turn now to some highlights of the Gospel of St. Luke. Although St. Luke may have borrowed from the account of St. Mark, his gospel does not follow the same form as either the gospels of St. Matthew or St. Mark. It is neither fully a biography nor is it just a history. In his unique preface to Theophilus, he wrote in verse 2 of eyewitnesses and, quote, ministers of the word who shared their experience with him when he in turn shares with readers in what has become known as the apostolic tradition. Note his use of certainty, a word much frowned upon today, in his summation in verses 3 and 4. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Tradition suggests that Theophilus, of whom there is no record other than the mention of his name here and in Acts of the Apostles, may have been St. Luke's financial backer during the period when eyewitness accounts were collected and the text prepared. Also among the highlights are a genealogy of Jesus, which differs from the one in St. Matthew's account and is presented in chapter 3 after the account of the baptism. The only discussion in the Gospels of the infancy of St. John the Baptist, the New Testament's only account of the post-nativity and childhood of Jesus, 
And finally, an emphasis on the importance of St. Mary, especially in the context of both obedience and righteousness, or what in modern language is called virtue. St. Luke's Gospel is the source book for most of the veneration of Mary and for Marian devotions in the Western and Eastern churches. The illustration is an apse mosaic of the Blessed Virgin and the Holy Child enthroned, which was added to the 6th century Hagia Sophia at Constantinople around 867 AD. Other highlights include four complete songs or hymns not found elsewhere, a discussion of unique events not covered in other Gospels, several unique parables, including some of the best-known parables, and more references to women than any other gospel, many of whom play significant parts in the narrative and many of whom are mentioned only in St. Luke's account. The illustration is a third-quarter 12th-century minuscule in colored inks and gold on parchment from the Worms in German, Worms in English Bible, made in the Middle Rhineland in Germany from Manuscript Harley 2804, Folio 199, at the British Library, London, England. Another highlight of St. Luke's Gospel is his frequent use of rhetorical questions, such as this by the onlookers in chapter 1, verse 66, in reference to John the Baptist. What kind of child will this be? Or this by the scribes and Pharisees in chapter 5, verse 21. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And yet again in chapter 9, verse 9, by Herod, Who is this of whom I hear such things? The format is a dramatic device which creates anticipation, a sense that something even more important is to come. The illustration is Luke writing his gospel, an illumination in tempera and guilt on parchment, from the Codex Aureus of Echternach, made at the Abbey of Echternach, Echternach Luxembourg, which, is, which was then in Germany, in the second or third quarter of the 11th century, from the version found in Manuscript Egerton 698, Folio 87, at the British Library, London, England. I mentioned earlier in this episode that St. Luke wrote in the highest literary form of Koine Greek, but he was also quite skilled in his organization of the narrative. As the noted Bible scholar Luke Timothy Johnson pointed out in the writings of the New Testament, St. Luke kept attention focused on the principal characters at all times by removing a character from the narrative before introducing another. The technique tends to keep the reader focused on the main storyline, a technique which movie producers use when adap adapting a book for the screen. I highly recommend the writings of the New Testament. The ISBN number for that book is shown on the slide. How this technique worked is clear in the first two chapters of the Gospel of St. Luke. First, some background information. In the Western Church tradition, Annunciation is automatically associated with the Archangel Gabriel's appearance to St. Mary in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. 
but there are two other annunciations or angelic pronouncements in chapters 1 and 2 of St. Luke's unique account of the Nativity period. The first, which will be discussed in a moment, was to Zacharias, Luke 1, verses 5 to 25, and the third to the shepherds in Luke 2, verses 8 to 20. In the first two, the sub-theme is the virtue of obedience. In chapter 1, verse 5, after a mention of him in the unique prologue, Theophilus is effectively set aside in a new character, Zacharias, a priest of the temple division of Abijah is introduced, of whom we read only in the Gospel of St. Luke. Zacharias is married to Elizabeth, a cousin of the Blessed Virgin Mary. St. Luke's richly detailed narrative stresses several theological virtues exhibited by these two new characters, righteousness and obedience. Here is how they are described in verse 6. And they were both righteous before God and walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. The illustration is a late 19th century opaque watercolor over graphite on gray wove paper of Zacharias and Elizabeth by James T. So from his Life of Christ series in the collection of the Brooklyn Museum in Brooklyn, New York. While St. Luke did not outwardly attempt to link Hebrew tradition to his account as St. Matthew did, the phrase walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord can best be understood in the context of the Hebrew understanding of Psalm 1, which is often called the Two Ways Psalm, in which the psalmist wrote of the actions which the righteous person will not do walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the path of sinners, or sit in the seat of the scornful. Elizabeth is described as not only blameless in verse 6, but barren in verse 7a, and like her husband Zacharias the priest, is, quote, well advanced in years in verse 7b, making conception unlikely. As St. Luke notes, a woman being barren was regarded in the first century with scorn or, in Bible terms, reproach. As Elizabeth herself points out later in her private thoughts in chapter 1, verse 25, that the Lord would, quote, take away my reproach among people. The family relationship between Elizabeth and Mary, and therefore between John the Baptist and Jesus, is not revealed until later in verse 36, mentioning Elizabeth, your relative, and as noted before, appears only here in the Gospel of St. Luke. Traditionally, Elizabeth and Mary are referred to as cousins. We learn in verses 11 to 23 the details about the day in which Zacharias was due to burn incense at the temple's altar of incense and in which the archangel Gabriel, known in the church as an archangel, came down bearing startling news. His presence left Zacharias troubled and fearful. Gabriel's pronouncement, which is truly the first annunciation in St. Luke's Gospel, appears in verse 13 and was spoken in the context of two themes of the Gospel of St. Luke, the effectiveness of prayer and when the pronouncement is fulfilled that God delivers on his promises. 
The first illustration was an illuminated page from the Gospel of St. Luke placed at the start of the account of the Annunciation to Zacharias from a book known as the Harley Golden Gospels, which was made at Aachen, Germany around 800 AD from the collection of the British Library's manuscript Harley, number 2788. The second is the central detail from the first illustration, showing Gabriel and Zacharias at center with Mary and Elizabeth in the small circular medallions. The third is a 20th century fresco at the Greek Orthodox Church of Jerusalem. Your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Not only that, but continued Gabriel, quoting Malachi 4, verse 5, He will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers of the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for God. The Old Testament quotation from Malachi 4 verse 5 in verse 17, make ready a people prepared for God, is one of the reasons St. John the Baptist is called by two titles, both John the Forerunner, the most common, and in the Eastern Church especially, the last prophet of the Old Testament. The reference to John in verse 17 as being born in the spirit of Elijah is reinforced later in the Gospels when at the Transfiguration in Mark 9 verse 13 and in slightly different form in Matthew 17 verse 12 but not recorded in St. Luke's account, Jesus said, But I say to you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. The illustration is a miniature illumination in colored inks and gold of the transfiguration and the raising of Lazarus from the Oxford Psalter, first quarter, 13th century, from manuscript Royal 1D10, folio 4V, at the British Library, London, England. Zacharias was skeptical, saying in verse 18, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Even after Gabriel identified himself in verse 19, he, being Zacharias, resisted and was made mute in verse 20. And Gabriel says, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which we will be fulfilled in their own time. The people of the temple were puzzled by the speechlessness of Zacharias. St. Luke wrote that they assumed Zacharias had experienced a vision. Zacharias returned home after his assignment in the temple was completed. Elizabeth had conceived a child and hid herself away for five months, glad to have regained the respect of those around her, or 
in verse 25, take away my reproach among the people. Zacharias did not speak again until the birth of his son described in chapter 2. The illustration is a late 14th century Byzantine-style fresco of Gabriel painted by Cyrus Emmanuel Eugenicus, an artist brought from Constantinople by the royal family of Georgia, and which is now at the Cathedral Church of the Transfiguration of the Savior Salangika, Georgia. Other AIC resources on topics discussed in this episode are starting with the AIC Christian Education video series, The Lives of the Saints, in which from the first series, St. John is the focus of episode four, St. Paul of episode five, St. Mark of episode seven, John the Baptist of episode 10, St. Peter of episode 11, St. Matthew of episode 14, and St. Luke of episode 15. From the second series of non-prayer book saints, Gregory Nazianzen is the focus of episode 8, Gregory the Great of episode 14, Augustine or Augustine if you prefer the English pronunciation of episode 20, Gabriel of episode 23, and Jerome of episode 24. From the series The Twelve Days of Christmas, which has one episode for each of the twelve days from Christmas Day to Epiphany Eve, obedience is the key word for fifth day of Christmas, December 29th, demonstrated with examples from the life of St. Mary and St. Joseph, and key words, grace and faith, for the twelfth day of Christmas, January 5th. And now from the AIC Bookstore publication, from the newest AIC Bookstore publication, The Gospel of Luke, Annotated and Illustrated, which has 111 illustrations and 14 special text boxes. Topics in this episode are discussed in the preface in the section called Luke and his Gospel, including the history, authorship, intended audience, style, themes, and unique content, and in angels in the Gospel of Luke section. From chapter 1, the first angelic annunciation by the archangel Gabriel to Zacharias and Zacharias's prophecy concerning his unborn son, John the Baptist. The illustrations are images of Luke writing his gospel from the pericope book of Henry II on the left, a first quarter 11th century illumination, and from on the right, the Augustine or Augustan gospels painted around 587 A.D. From Layman's Lexicon, there is an unusually large selection of words and phrases. Angels and archangels, circumcision, epistle, faith, Gabriel, forgiveness, Gentile, gospels, nunc dimittis, prayer, prophet slash prophecy, synoptic gospels, type, and witness. From the Christian Spirituality, book Christian Spirituality and Anglican Perspective, you'll find a discussion of the two-way psalm on pages 40 and 41, and ideas on the development of personal prayer habits in part 4 on pages 71 to 81. 
Finally, from the writing prophets of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi is discussed with illustrations on pages 111 to 116 with the text box Malachi in Christian liturgy on pages 115 and Old Testament-New Testament references to Elijah and John the Baptist on page 116. Lastly, there is Father Ron's blog, a page on the site which features information on the latest projects, videos, and publications. Each entry usually includes an illustration from the featured series. You can reach the blog page by clicking the links at the top or bottom of the page, or by entering the direct URL address in your browser, www.anglicaninternetchurch.net, right slash blog, and blog must be spelled in all small letters. Lastly, by clicking on the Follow Anglican Internet Church Legend in the right-hand column on the, on the blog page, and afterward entering your email address, you can receive notice of each new posting from our site host, wordpress.com. Please be assured that we do not share this information with any other organization. Thank you for joining me for Episode 12 of New Testament Gospels. Next time, in episode 13, I will pick up the narrative when St. Luke sets the account of Zacharias and Elizabeth aside temporarily and introduces us to the Virgin Mary with the account of Gabriel's better-known Annunciation and the first two songs in St. Luke's Gospel, the Magnificat and the Benedictus. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and use its resources at www. Anglican Internet Church dot net